Welcome to Cardinal Conversations, a career podcast from the Catholic University of America. My name is Brett McCrad. I am the Director for Career Development and Professional Networking in our Office of Alumni Engagement. And I am joined, as always, by my colleague, Dr. Ryan Cheatham. Hi, good hey, morning. Ryan. Hey. How's it going now? It's going pretty good. Going pretty good. Yeah, it's a fun morning because, well, there's a number of reasons why it's a fun morning. Yeah. Most of all, we have a guest with us for our <laughs> intro today. So much fun. Yeah, <laughs> sitting next to us at our table. You can hear him laughing now. Hello. Yeah, it's Saikim <laughs> Lewis. Saikim is a graduate of the class of 2014 mm-hmm. with his bachelor's and the class of 2019 with his master's in management. And Saikim has just joined our alumni engagement team as our associate director for affinity programming for alumni. So, Saikim, welcome to the yes, team. Welcome hello. back. It's yeah. good to be mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Thank you so much for the yeah. for the warm welcome. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to have Saikim on just to introduce him, introduce his role, get him as a familiar voice for our Cardinal community. Saikim, how did you get into the role you're in now? What brought you back to the university? Yes. So everyone that I've come across, especially since being back on campus, which I must echo again, it's been such a warm welcome. Um, For me, it's been just the level of involvement in the relationships I've established that has brought me back to, to Catholic. I miss this sense of community. I miss being able to re-engage students and now alumni because as Brett mentioned, I'm also an alum, a double alum of that. And affinity programming is something that I'm incredibly passionate about because when I was a student at Catholic, I was always very heavily involved on campus from being a resident assistant, a cardinal ambassador, also participated in a number of mission trips. Those activities and those organizations planted a seed in me. That has really been the foundation for my, my career in higher education. And that's being very service-oriented and really giving back and encouraging alumni to, to re-engage and to get connected to, to Catholic and really mentor students. So that's what brought me back to Catholic is the, the memories that I carry with me and the seeds that were planted during my time at Catholic. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's great. And I remember when I used to see you in McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Back and forth walking. In. But you were always so pleasant to talk oh. to. And, see. and so knowing that you're back here and then in this space so we can continue to, to collaborate and work. That's that's awesome. So happy to have you back. Thank you so yeah. much. It mm-hmm. feels good to be back. Catholic is home for me. Yeah. You know, I, I spent a lot of time on this campus, you know, living on this campus as, as an RA. Um, and then returning here for graduate school and also working in graduate admissions for a number of years. So I've I've worn multiple hats and I've held different roles and it's been such a blessing and such a great experience. And so this feels very full circle for me. Good. Great. Great. Yeah. Well, we are so glad that you are back. And we are looking forward to the programming that you're going to be doing. We've already collaborated on a few events. You've Mm -hmm. done a few events yourself. Just to give a timestamp for when we're recording this, we just finished the big commencement weekend. Saikim, I think you had three events that you were a part of just on commencement Saturday. That's right. So, I mean, folks, he's already off to the races. (laughs) Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Got to hit the ground running. That's that's what it is. (laughs) For folks who are listening, what are some of the goals that you have for your role and some of the things that you want to see happen while you're here? Absolutely. Several things. As a social director of alumni engagement, specifically affinity programming, you know, occasionally I'll get the question, what is affinity programming? What does it entail? What does it mean? And it means several things. I mentioned my involvement on campus and, you know, COA 
we have a number of student organizations. But if any programming, especially as it relates to our alumni population, is establishing strong affinity networks where alumni can get re-engaged and really champion those networks. And so that can be some of our cultural organizations like the Black Student Alliance, the Latin Alliance, AAPI. We just had a, an incredible panel about AAPI alumni. But then also we have our non-cultural organizations like Campus Ministry and Student Government. There are so many organizations that have, have been established on this campus. But now I'm in a place where, especially in this role, where I want to really encourage and empower alumni, especially the ones that have been involved in those various organizations during their time at Catholic, to be speakers and volunteers, you know, encourage them to participate in the events and the programming that I have and share about their experiences at Catholic and, you know, where they are now after CUA and really lead various offending networks. But I also want to establish a strong mentorship network as well, right? Because we still have students that are very much involved in the parties organizations. And alumni, I think there's a benefit to connecting alumni to students so they can also share their experiences, mm -hmm. but also really support them during their time at Catholic and provide them with more resources and support. So that's that's my overarching goal when it comes to affinity programming is empowering alumni to, to get involved and get back and really champion these affinity groups, but also establish a really strong mentorship component as well. Yeah. That's fantastic. Awesome. My mind is already turning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think we should schedule a meeting. Yes. <laughs> I'm so ready. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. It's fun to be in an alumni office because you get to work with everybody across campus, even that's though right, we're yeah. primarily working with people who are not on campus anymore. Mm -hmm. Like That's our main audience that we talk to every day, but that's it's right. to make the campus community a stronger place overall. Mm -hmm. so, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Looking forward to all the great things you're going to do. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Thank you both. Mm -hmm. So, second. Yes. Tell me what your favorite memory is that you can share. Mm. <laughs> That's an important caveat. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Gosh. Okay. So I have so many, but I'll try to narrow it down to, okay. to, to just one. But there was a professor. She was my first theology professor at Catholic. And her name is Professor Weaver. Shout out to her if she's listening somewhere. But anyway, she was my first theology professor at Catholic. And when I first met her, I did not know she was my professor because okay. she was sitting with all of my classmates. And I think she wanted to play a prank on us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. We were like, where's the professor? And then literally she just gets up and turns around. Um, <laughs> but she really challenged me and really was has has been a mentor throughout my time at Catholic. And I remember when I graduated, I was working very closely with my aunt, who's a pastor in Baltimore, and I was preparing to do my initial sermon. And my theology professor, one of the, the key people alongside my pastor, really was a resource and supported me in preparing. And she came out. Mm -hmm. She came out to my initial sermon. And seeing her in the audience... Yeah was really, 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 really mm -hmm. made me feel so happy and feel yeah. so supported that this was someone that saw me when I was an undergrad mm -hmm. in the first theology class. And then to see her after graduation and at my initial sermon, 
that solidified why Catholic is such a special place. Mm -hmm. And even after you leave Catholic, you can still have these relationships that will follow you throughout your life. Yeah. So that was, I would say, my, one of my favorite memories. Yeah, that's yeah. warm. I yeah. like that. It really that's is. A, yeah, yeah, that's a great memory. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Speaks, like you've talked about, Saikim, the power of the community here. Yeah. Exactly. So thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, Saikim, thanks for joining us and telling us a little more about yourself and yes. the things you're going to do. Ryan, we've got another interview to get to. Yeah. So should we turn to that? Let's do it. Welcome to our conversation with a Cardinal. This is the main segment for Cardinal Conversations, and we get to interview an alumni of the university about their career path, ask them their advice, learn about the things that they've been up to since they graduated from Catholic University. And Ryan, I'm excited today to have with us Mary Nakahara. Mary is a graduate of the Master of Library Science program from 2009, and she's been working for the Library of Congress for a number of years and has had a career in architecture and engineering design history and just know so much about all these different styles and eras related to architecture design and so i'm excited to learn more about her career path and mm -hmm. archiving and curating and what that looks like and also she's done education in japan and then moved here to the u.s so there's a lots of interesting things i'm looking forward to talking with mary about but ryan where do you think we should start I think where I really want to start with this is you've had this extensive career before Catholic U. What got you interested in the field of engineering and architectural design and how did you get into this interest? So to begin, well, thank you so much, uh, Brett and Ryan, for giving me this opportunity to talk about myself. I'm a little bit, you know, hesitant to talk about many things. Not hesitant, I'm willing to, but I'm really honored. So answering to the first question, you know, I came from Japan and I have been learning how American kids were educated, but Japanese kids' education is slightly different. It's always test, high score, something do very quickly at the moment and I get the A or, you know, A plus, anything, and then get the entrance exam perfectly and getting into the university, good university at my age, kind of decided decided to the future career. So was I a good student up to the high school? Well, yes, no. Then I wanted to do something new at university, you know, study something new, not based on anything that I had to learn up to high school. So what is new? So what, first, of, first of all, that came up with pharmaceutical kind of chemical stuff. But at the same time, well, wait a minute, that I have to know all of the chemical stuff, you know, basic um, chemical stuff up to the high school. So, well, I, I took an exam and then I was accepted. But other thing is the architecture design. Um, since I was a little, I love looking at the newspaper and then this is not really the architecture design or history or structure, but, you know, all as of the new houses and the plans and I was imagining, oh, if I put this furniture here, you know, if I put the curtain here, how does it look like? So that kind of interest grew up and 
when I was thinking about my future career, now architecture may be interesting. Mm-hmm. But after I went to the school and started studying that, well, of course, this also requires some basics <laughs> from the high school days, like uh, mathematics, physics, and then, you know, some of the history. So my prediction that not really related to the studies up to the high school was wrong, but I truly enjoyed it. And then going into this architectural field, which most likely belonged to engineering or technology. Some of the artistic school, art school has architectural schools. Well, first of all, we do not have architectural schools. We have an architecture department in engineering school or technology school, faculty faculty of engineering, faculty of technology, or art school. So that, that's the beginning of my kind of study and then interest getting into the architecture engineering field. Wow, that's awesome. That's, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, it's a different kind of setup, as you mentioned, Mary, than folks that are from the United States might have experienced. But I, I'm interested, too, because you you not only got into architecture and design and engineering design, but you got really into it and you pursued a doctorate in it that you completed at the Tokyo Metropolitan University. So that's kind of a different question when somebody decides to go and do an advanced degree in something. There's a, just an extra level of investment of your personal time, your mental energy, your bandwidth. It takes a toll on a number of things in life. In order to do that. So what led you to want to do the doctorate and what was that process like for you? Yeah, I have to go back a little bit. I enrolled to this undergrad 1984. So this is 40 years ago. You may not believe that when I entered the school, there were only nine female students amongst 180. Wow. In the architecture. Oh my gosh. And the one year before us was only three female students. And the two years ahead of me was only one student. Mm. And one year after me is 11 female students. So you can imagine from this story how rare, unusual for female student to be in the engineering or technology field. So I never thought that it's possible to survive in academia without having a PhD. So my goal was kind of getting the teaching job or professorship at the university as a career. In the first year, I have already noticed that I am not becoming a good architect. <laughs> you know, every single student goes to the school with the hope and the wishes to become a good architect. But it was really depressing, but really realistic. At the first class of the architecture design, as a Japanese, you know, professor was six, above six feet. He came and he leaned down onto the blackboard saying, oh, amongst these 180 students, I am very happy to see if one of you become a well-known architect. Wow. (laughs) Isn't that very, very depressing? But (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Going through the second through the fourth year that I realized it is really true. It is really true. But so I focused on academia, but pursuing the academia was not easy either. So unless having a PhD that I didn't think that I can become a professor or I can become anything. So 
my challenge at the time was kind of a lot because female staff then also how to manage my time to go through everything. So that, that was the beginning. And pursuing the PhD is not as difficult as the process in the United States. I learned everything comparison after I moved to the U.S. because some of my American friends were pursuing the PhD and it usually took about eight to 10 years as a of the PhD process. And they had to do many requirements, preview, review, articles, then journals, TA works, and those things. But in Japan, that I could acquire my PhD within four years because we really do not have that much heavy load for the TA. We did have the peer review journal publication requirement. But other than that, that do the research and then communicate with the professor and those things. So process was not lengthwise. It was not difficult. However, my circumstance that time did not allow me to live nearby the university. Commute time was two hours each way. Mm. Four hour commute a day. And I had some other tasks and I had to help some something in the family folks. So there was only limited time for me to do this. And then also I was helping my professor with his project because he was the practice architect. So I sometimes do the design work and then also went to the construction site. So you can imagine that how much time I really had for my own dissertation. Then at the university on site, I did the research, I read the books, and I started writing the draft on the paper, like a letter-sized paper, folded into half vertically, and I wrote everything, the draft. And on the way back in the train, I edited them. And after I went back home, I had a desktop, so I typed everything and printed it out. For the next morning, on the way to the university, I was re-editing. So that that kind of time. So it was it was tough. It was it was tough. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you found a process that worked for you, though. That's in my experience, uh, more than half the battle in getting yeah. writing done is finding the time and figuring out what works best for you for actually doing the writing, and then the the thing I'm very bad at the editing part of it. Well. Mary, I know that you have this part of your career, but you also have the curating. Can you talk to us a little bit about your career pivot? And was it necessarily a career pivot or the two intertwined and, you know, to you in some way? And how did you decide on Catholic U for your MLS? Well, are you ready? It's a long story. Yes, yes, you're ready. <laughs> so master course that we really didn't have to reach out to the or review the original resources, but PhD, we had to you know, reach and then review all of the original resources. Mm-hmm. Dissertation was, even though I was living in, Jap- in Japan, my dissertation was on the architectural firm, McKim, Mead, and White. Then those resources were most likely held at New York's Columbia University's archive, Avery Architectural Archive. 
at New York Historical Society and another places. So as I mentioned, my you know circumstance that time, I had to almost commute every three months. Coming to New York, did the research, went back to Japan and continued the research and coming back and forth, back and forth. First time when I visited the Avery Architectural Archive, I saw the drawing, which was Columbia University's law library, LOW library, whose deproduction copy was on the book. And I was looking at very small printed, you know, drawing on in the book that was almost like a largest would be three by three inches. And when the curator brought the drawing, huge road drawing, probably four by six feet or larger, and ink on linen. I don't know if you have seen that a linen drawing is so beautiful and soft. It's not like a paper dried out. This building was built in 1893. So it's very nice. And then she actually spread that drawing on the table. You know, I grew up in Japan, so I have seen that the kimono, the Japanese um, kimono fabric roll, but it, it was like this. And I was almost teared and I was like a chewed almost. Wow, this is the drawing that I have been seeing in the book. That was the beginning. I completely fell in love with the archival work, especially in the architectural archival work. And going on and on and on, I saw beautiful handwritten manuscript, correspondence in gall ink. Everything looked so vivid to me. And this is the one that I want to pursue my goal, but my dream and my passion to pursue an interest in the archive never disappeared. Mm -hmm. then, then I started wondering what's going on in Japan. Do we have any such archives, architectural archives in the United States? And the short answer was no. We, as an old company, had good maintenance and documentation for the kind of historic temples and the shrines and the cultural affairs for uh, Japan really takes care of well. But my focus was more like the buildings built about the time that I grown up. That means like a high economy 1960s, 70s. You know, Tokyo Olympics first one was held in 1964. All the infrastructure in Tokyo city was built up that time. Followed by 1971, I think, Osaka Expo. And those times that many, many buildings were built. And then those architects really became well known worldwide. So I started doing a little bit of the research. And I found that there had been no architectural archive in Japan. Wow. I was like, yeah, you know, I want to make one. I want to found one. But that passed was not easy, one, too young. Nobody cares about the archives. No work related to archival or promotion of the archive was considered as a faculty's job, right? Because I was a faculty and then they were focusing on more research or you know writing the papers, not to actively 
to try to found something or create something, then I was really sad. Of course, you know, afterwards, you know, those movements became more popular and called eyes of many scholars. And then now we have architectural archives in Japan, but that was built after I moved to the United States. Then five or six years later on, I was honored to be given the opportunity to do the internship, hands-on training at the architecture archives at the Avery Architecture Archive at Columbia, where I'm doing the research, and Museum Modern Art in New York City. So at that time, I learned how the collection is acquired, how the collections are processed, and how make them accessible, how to take care of the researchers, and especially at the MoMA, I was learning how to mount the exhibit and how the exhibition process going around. And this internship was supported by the Fulbright grant. And two years later, 1999, I won the green card by Lorari. Yeah, then it says, I, I thought I can't waste my time anymore because I owe something to the United States. I, my practice, my knowledge, everything was given by the United States. And I, I, I decided to immigrate. I quit my job and I moved. Japanese academic career ends March 31st. So next day I had no hesitant, I moved. My parents stopped me. Wow, well, you don't have a job. You know, why don't you spare a little bit of the months, a few months and I leave? And I said, no, that would probably make my decision very weak. So I just go and I moved to New York, spent some time, three part-time job, job to job every day. But time job was Washington. That brought me down to Washington, working at the American Architectural Foundation Collection, which was the, the sister's organization. The reason why I say which was, was unfortunately, uh, I took a job 2003, four years later, they had to close the collection due to board decision. I was about to lose my job at the American Architecture Foundation. God, what to do, right? So I started looking for the job. By the time I was involved in the relationship with my husband, who is American, and who also happened to work at the Library of Congress as a book conservator, and that really gave me no, no other choice, staying in Washington, D.C. I couldn't go anywhere else. So I started looking for a job. And you can see first line requirement accredited MLS, which I had not had. I decided to go back to the school. Mm -hmm. the teaching points that I enrolled at the Catholic. Of course, I had another opportunity that, you know, that to go to UMD, University of Maryland, but I chose Catholic U, several reasons. The biggest thing was that my mentor in Japan had known the Catholic U's MLS's former dean, hmm. uh, Dr. Diana Markham, uh, unfortunately passed away last year, but Diana, was already 2007 working at the associate librarian at the Library Congress. Then my mentor in Japan, Dr. Chiku, recommended I contact Dr. Markham. I did. 
then Dr. Markham was really kind to connect me to that time's uh, dean at the Catholic U. And the dean and I had a really wonderful conversation and the dean invited me to uh, come to see her. And uh, part of the reason was that up to then that my architectural de degree really helped me to get a job. But you know, this is the first time that I encountered the problem. I must have an MLS. So I and the talked about an hour application for the spring 2007 had already closed and I hadn't taken the, the test for the language, you know, verification. So that was one. Then two, location. I live in Silver Springs, so Catholic was on the way back from my work. And I am Catholic. <laughs> so so multiple reasons, but that, that's the decision that I made. And the Catholic U also gave the tuition deduction for the Library of Congress employees. Yeah, that was also a big, big thing. And the Catholic U MLS also provides the four courses at the Library of Congress. Wow. Wow. What a journey. I think it really speaks towards your resilience. And also, you know, for those listening who might be considering pivoting jobs, just how you flow with the challenges, it's not always going to be easy, but the navigation of it all and the how resilience plays a part in that and, and believing in yourself and taking the opportunities that make sense. It's keeping that focus and that resilience, I think, that really comes out when I listen to your story. Yeah, I may say that there are some hard hurdles, many things I encounter, but I was probably much younger. You know, it's 23 years ago I began my life, but I was already mid-30s. I had more energy, but I was willing to take any challenges. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even turn down any part-time jobs that I was offered. Yeah. And that became a good solid base, foundation for me to start my life here. But as I said, in New York City, I was doing three part-time jobs that I was so naive to this country. I told everybody, oh, I can work more hours. You know, I was a wage worker, right? Hourly basis. I can work hours. And everybody said, no, 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 no. 21 hours is good. Because I learned that they don't have to give me the benefit. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. right. I, I had not known that. Everybody was saying, Mari, you have to get the full-time job and you have to have a, a health insurance. I cannot do that at my current age, but I could have done that. So there are certain challenges. I appreciate you sharing the story because there's many twists and turns there. And we've talked about this many times on Cardinal Conversations, that career paths are not always linear. And... Sometimes they go in fits and starts, and sometimes they take big loops like a roller coaster, and sometimes they feel stagnant like you're maybe on like a lazy river or something. And so, Mary, you've got such a winding path. I appreciate you sharing that and some of the challenges along the way. Yeah. Maybe to do just a, a little bit of a pivot. So let's talk kind of more about what it's like to be in archival work or curation or being a librarian. What are some of the myths or misconceptions about working as a librarian that you 
find people think that aren't exactly true? And what does your daily work actually look like? I have never worked as the the title was librarian till I had a job at the Library Congress. So my answer to your question may be a slightly different from those really working at the the library, the different setting. My kind of job title were every time it's different, you know, correction manager or program coordinator, whatever it is. But Library Congress name is a library of Congress. And we first, our first patron are congressmen and congresswomen. Second patron are American people. And of course, third, and then we serve everybody from all the, the world. But our library, Library Congress, is too large. And we have diverse collection, we have diverse function functions and there are many people but amongst that we call librarians or sometimes curators or sometimes called historians have specific job uh, requirement then I do know people here the job title librarian probably immediately Imagine the face with glasses and then, you know, there's a wrinkle in between your nose and eyes or nerdy or saying Shh, or something like that, right? <laughs> but I would say if I replace the word nerdy, I may use the word very enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah. So... Because we means librarians, and of course, we do not know what kind of questions are coming in, but if you do know the Library Congress structure, we have about 182 million items, and then divide the items, either the kind of bound materials or special format, that means flat materials such as maps or prints or photos or other things like uh, audio visual stuff or manuscript or you know films, many different types. And uh, to handle these materials, we need specific subject specialists. So librarians we call and the curators, everybody's kind of having the specialities. So that's saying that I am the specialist for the architecture, design, and engineering. And of course, you know, I am interested. Then I go in deep and I have to, I must have the depth of the knowledge, the topic on the topic that I'm handling. That means I have to be really enthusiastic, right? That, that's the thing that how people look at us Maybe from our viewpoint, slightly that we can replace the word. And well, other way that normal life that we usually say, Shh. but it's been changing and we are more relaxed. And you can see, it, especially at the public library in towns, 
that they are allowed to bring some drinks and the coffees and read the books. Library Congress is not reaching to that point, but we are more open to the general public. We are the research library, so usually for the reading room, we only allow the people who are 16 years or older, but we are open to more general public come to learn about our collection, do the outreach program displays or talks and these things. So from my perspective, well, please pay a respect to the serious, serious researchers, but we welcome you all. Then as far as you are quiet, at <laughs> <laughs> a certain point, you are, you are free to talk about it. You know, outside of the reading room, you are feel free, relaxed, and talk about, enjoy our collection, enjoy our talk, enjoy our building. So then this is my 16th year, and then I consider as a child or baby still, because there are many, many employees, at least they worked over 30 years or longest, I know, 50 years, half century, and 15 years, almost nothing. However, every day seems to be a little bit different. Again, not easy days, challenges, sometimes heavy researchers, I wouldn't say difficult, but heavy researchers, difficult questions to answer, which involves a lot of research on my end, outreach programs or exhibition loans that we, we actually long and then let the other side, other outside organization borrow our materials. I am handling actually eight exhibition loans right now, or working with the technical section, which handles the processing mainly, communicating with them, or a young generation mentorship. My calendar is really full, but I never add boring days and I still enjoy fully my days. Wonderful. Yeah, that's great. We love to hear that. And I know you're doing so many things and I know you've done a little bit of work and starting to build a relationship with the School of Architecture here at the university. So we're grateful for that and excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Well, Mary, thank you so much for your time today, for speaking with us about your yes. career and mm -hmm. all the interesting things that you've been doing and what archival curatorial work looks like. And I encourage folks, if you're in the Washington, mm -hmm. D.C. area, if you've not done it, it is completely worth your time to go and at least see the exhibitions in the visitor center at the library of congress and if you're associated with the university if you're a student you can sometimes be able to get a access into the reading room and that is one of my favorite things to do that i have done in a few years but to go study and work in the reading room at the library of congress there's just nowhere like it so mary thank you so much we really appreciate it thank you so much 